1 p.m. on the East Coast. The sun is shining. Baseball playoffs are upon us beginning tomorrow. Swizz here, Dan there. EY from SoFi is back. Butters is coming. He's not coming on, but his work is coming on. It doesn't matter. You just say Butters and he appears like Jeannie, Barbara Eden, and I dream of Jeannie. Uh, today's episode of Market Call, 30 minutes, by the way, because I got a 5,000 at 1.30. Brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. And we are produced, powered, all those things by Open Exchange. Um, hi. How you doing, guy? A lot doing, of, a lot, can I tell you something? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing great. October is such a wonderful month here, and especially uh, hockey season. My yeah. football giants are three and one. There's relevancy for the Jets for it. The Mets are in the playoffs. They got a, they got a three game slot with the Padres of San Diego. Yankees are off for a few days. Uh, they'll play the winner of, I guess, the Guardians and the Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday. What could be wrong? Tell me what could be wrong. Anyways, well, back. Well, tomorrow morning, tomorrow Yach. morning, we're going to have this September jobs number. And it's mm-hmm. funny, the stock market today meandering a little bit. I thought yesterday's price action, though, guy, Very was good. pretty interesting because we saw, you know, the 10 year yield up. We saw crude oil up. We saw the U.S. dollar up, which we're going to talk with Liz a little bit about um, in, in a few minutes here. Just by the way, Liz is back from her two martini Tuesday. Um, you know, so that. let's see. Let, yeah, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. It feels like a, like a holding pattern a little bit. And so, you know, we've been talking about it on the market call here. You know, we had that explosive one two-day rally. I guess you call it a two-day rally Monday and Tuesday. Um, you know, new month, new quarter, the whole mm-hmm. shebang. We closed at a new 52-week low. And so if the narrative is that the Fed is going to maybe take their foot off the pedal just a little bit, and that was the narrative, again, in the summer, right, when we had that huge rally from mid-June after that Fed meeting into mid-August, um, you know, it, you, you better have some cool data tomorrow. You better have some cool data next week in the CPI, right? Um, otherwise, I mean, it's just like, you know, all systems go again. And is that what the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield has told us over the last two trading days? It certainly appears that way. And I think this is a situation where if you do get bad news tomorrow in the forms of a miserable jobs report, and I have no insight as to what it's going to be, yeah. uh, the market will absolutely, again, in my opinion, rally on the back of that. But with that said, I think that's what we've been setting up for over these last couple of days. And we mentioned it yesterday. It's worth mentioning again today because, as you mentioned, EY was in Portugal uh, speaking Portuguese to the natives, and she probably didn't hear you on Fast Money last week, but you alluded to this type of move taking place. And this is, to me, and again, just my opinion, this is a classic uh, bear market rally. Uh, yeah. Rip your face off, take no prisoners rally, where there are going to be a lot of people saying that was the bottom. And I get it. I understand why people would be quick to do that. I will not be one of those people. But you have to get a lousy jobs report. It has to be followed up by a cooling <laughs> inflation number next week and if you get both of those maybe this continues i just don't think that's in the cards and by the way they continue to trot out these fed officials that seemingly are saying listen our eyes on the ball your eye might not be on the ball in terms of the stock market but our eye is firmly on the ball in terms of what we need to do about inflation yeah you mean your main man um cash kari from don't, minnesota see, you know, okay from, I mean, well no i mean diaz, diaz why, threw why up a bloomberg headline for you she just wanted why to get y'all you know she wanted to get y'all tuned up yeah. he was the biggest dove johnson 
Oh, I thought yeah. you were going to say Gus no, Johnson. He Sorry. was the biggest dove, and now he's saying they're going to stay the course. One of the things I wanted to kind of highlight today, guys, some of the, the, the price action in the stock market. Again, the S&P is down, um, I don't know, a half a percent or so. Look at what's the worst performing sector. It's utilities, and the best performing sector is energy and mm-hmm. materials. And what's interesting about that is like, okay, we, we recognize the fact that utilities just a month ago were making new all-time highs, the XLU, the ETF that tracks it, right? And at that time, you know, energy was doing also pretty well, but the utilities was more a reflection of just kind of defensive, um, right? And and then when you think about what was going on with energy, that really played into a stagflationary sort of situation here. When you see those two barbelled as best performing and worst performing on a day like today, any takeaways there for the S&P? Because we're not even going to look at the S&P chart. Who cares? We did it a bunch this week. Tomorrow morning could be a bit of a binary sort of trade. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, to me... Util, you know, the utility move to me is actually probably a good sign. I'm, again, if, if utilities are going to underperform, maybe it's a sense that there's some clarity out there and we're getting back to some sense of normalcy. But again, I don't want to make a big deal out of a couple days or yeah. a week or so performance. With that said, I would take it as a good sign. Energy is sort of the wild card here because obviously, you know, as important as inflation is, energy is a huge component of that. And if energy is going to get back on its horse, it's only going to make the Fed's job that much more difficult. So, yeah. There's so many cross currents here, and we try to talk about it. We try to navigate it. To your point about the market in a holding pattern, you're yeah. absolutely right. The problem with a holding pattern, Dan, as you know, because I've actually been in one a number of times, <laughs> at a certain point, you run out of fuel and you got to land somewhere. And I think that's where we are right now. Yeah, no, that makes some sense. I mean, one of the things, again, I mean, we talk about the stock market every day on market call, but really right now, it is a function of what's going on with yields and it is a function of the dollar. Um, so let's bring Liz in here because yes. Liz, uh, Liz, EY from SoFi, that's what we call her here, guy, right? Um, no, 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 no. Just let's, I want to, yes, that's what we call You want to do this properly? Clear, though, yeah. who, who, who created that? I mean, where did it, whose you mind did. did that emanate from? Me. Number one. Now it's caught on so much so that when she was in Portugal, people on the beach walked up. Oh, you're your wife from SoFi. They probably said it far more elegantly than I. And we sent her a birthday gift, didn't we? It says EY from SoFi in the friggin' thing. It sure <laughs> does. Something like that. Hi, guys. We're yeah. all back together. This is the first time in like almost a month, I think. Crazy. It really I is. I missed you, know, you all. Except I, did, I didn't miss Dan. No, I you see, didn't. I see Dan no, you, everywhere. I see Dan did, when I don't want to see Dan. <laughs> you did see me where you didn't want, you want to see me. But you know what's really funny about that birthday gift? Because we did talk about your birthday back in July. And Guy and I had been meaning to you know get you a gift. And we actually were thinking about things that we could monogram or put EY from SoFi on. And we went through all the Yeti. Like anything that you could put a drink in, we thought about that first. We thought that was kind of the most appropriate sort of thing. And then we kind of settled on the thing that we settled on. All right, but let, let's talk about this a little bit because you have a note um, on your SoFi blog today. You do your weekly um, note here. You want to focus on the U.S. dollar. And Guy and I have been talking, obviously, a lot about the U.S. dollar as we get you know, into earnings, Q3 earnings. They're going to start in earnest um, in a week or so. A lot of these major U.S. multinationals, this is going to be a huge headwind. That's one of the issues. Also, when we yeah. think about like you know, when we think about what's going on in the energy markets, and Guy and I talk about this all the time, I mean, go back to when you know the dollar started rapidly after the Fed was coming off ZERP and ending QE, you know, crude oil really got cut in half, 13, 14, 15 or so. Talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about the dollar. I'll just say full disclosure, a couple weeks ago, I detailed a 
bearish trade in the dollar looking for a pullback to that uptrend that had been in place and, and really felt like a blow off. I took it off today. It was in the UUP because, you know, it really feels like these things want to get back on their horse. Thoughts yeah. on the Dixie? Yeah, well, the reason I wrote about it and I, I talked about it in the piece, this will be the first installment of a few because I think it's important for investors to think through this. And what happened in the UK and with the Bank of England caught a lot of people by surprise. And I don't think that there were many investors out there that really understood everything that happened and what the domino effect of that was. So it's important to talk about this, especially in a year where the dollar has absolutely just taken off. So we're up, it was up 22% year to date. And if you look at a long-term chart, which is also in the piece, it's obvious that this is going to be another one of those historic notable tops. We just don't know when the top actually happened. So right now we're looking at September 28th as the most recent peak. Now, here's the thing. The part of the reason that the dollar has been so strong is because everybody else has been so weak, right? And, and the other thing to note is when you look at something like the Dixie index, the euro is a large component of that. So as long as the euro is weak, you're going to see strength in this particular index. And always remember that currency is a relative game. But the rest of the world has been a bad place to be, right? We've been the best country on a bad planet for a while, and that's probably going to continue for the near term. You also have to think about central banks, and we're having all of this discussion about whether or not the Fed is going to pause, turn dovish, or pivot. I don't think that's coming in the next 30 to 60 days. It's still pretty baked in that they do 75 basis points in November. So looking at that and thinking about other central banks that have started to sort of slow down or even pivot entirely, I don't think that the dollar is going to come off of this strength anytime soon, in which case it continues to be a headwind for those multinationals. I pointed out in the piece that the sectors with the largest international revenue exposure are technology and materials. So it ends up being a headwind for those. But later in the year, if we do start to hear a message from the Fed that they are going to back off, if we start to get really bad jobs numbers, tomorrow might be a bad one, then you start to see this relaxation in the dollar compared to other currencies. But I still think we're at least a month away from that. So let's toggle back because, you know, I, I have to because the title, you just, you're just jamming it in my face. The first <laughs> Wall Street was a great movie. The second one, not so much. Anthony Scaramucci was in it. Shia LaBeouf or Boof or whatever. I mean, I don't know. He fell off the face of the earth. But that was the name of the movie, right? Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. So I like what you did there. You know what else never sleeps, apparently? are these central banks. And over the course of the last month, we've seen intervention from the Bank of Japan. Obviously, you mentioned mm -hmm. the Bank of England and the Bank of China as well. So one of my concerns along the way has been potential for a currency crisis. I'm not suggesting we're there, but we're on the precipice of something. How does that change the equities equation, if at all? The possibility of a crisis. Yeah. Well, if you look at some of the previous peaks in the dollar, one of them did precede the Asian currency crisis. And think about the effect that the dollar especially has on emerging markets. They are going through a lot of pain because of that right now. So if there is a currency crisis that erupts, not good for equities. And then I think it's something where you see a global recession that's going to be harder hit, especially in emerging markets. We don't want a currency crisis to occur. I don't think that that's going to happen, but this is certainly one of the times where the currency markets are probably the least stable and are they're making me nervous, frankly. And I think it's something that we should watch. And, and I, again, pointed out in the piece, 
we've been trying to call peak inflation for so mm -hmm. long. Now the big story is what's peak dollar because the dollar strength is actually something that works against us. And I think that's another thing that a lot of investors, if you're just a stock investor and you're not thinking about the forces that occur in an economy over the course yeah. of a currency cycle, this is really important to watch. Liz, Liz you make a great point about the relative game and that, that Dixie, the US dollar index, 50% of that is Euro. And we know what's going on in Europe. And I guess it makes sense to think about how do you get to peak dollar guy? I'm just curious, like a thought, in your head, you know, with the with the progress that Ukraine, you know, has been making, right, and the pressure that's on the Kremlin here, might there be a ceasefire soon? If you think about this, and I listened to you know, our friend Tommy Vitor, he's got Pod Save the World, and they've done, uh, they've had a lot of great guests on this. And again, I'm not a political scientist, I'm not a military strategist or anything like that, but there's a scenario where it works to the Russians' favor, where that maybe they do do a ceasefire right now. I just said do do, okay, mm. um, and then they really kind of want to re establish you know what i mean their supply lines and kind of you know get some some all these hundreds of thousands of people that they've supposedly called up and then start fighting again in the winter but my my point is is that let's just say we had some sort of ceasefire and then maybe some of the energy constraints were kind of lifted a little bit that would be the sort of headline that I have to think would send the euro rising a bit. I'm just curious if you think about geopolitics guy as a really important input and something that could be a massive tape bomb. Yeah, well, if you remember, I know you do. Last year, last it was this time last year, actually, that in Fast Money, Melissa went around the horn and she asked, what are your biggest concerns in 2022? And I think a few of us said geopolitical, and it turned out to be right. So, yes, it's obviously a huge part of the equation. Um, I think through the lens of just normalcy and the way we look at the world, that what you just outlined makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, I'm not certain that Vladimir Putin thinks the same way. You know, if you go back and listen to his history, someone who whose father basically pulled his mother out of a heap of bodies, nursed her back to health before he was born. I mean, this is a somebody that feels like he's a survivor and went back into a corner. He's going to do what's necessary. So yeah. I don't necessarily want to go down that route. I just don't see it happening. But I'll play it out. If that were to happen, I think the equity markets would have a huge relief rally. You're going to see a sell-off in crude oil, and you probably see a subsequent sell-off in the U.S. dollar under those circumstances. You just have to game out what the percentage of that is happening, and I don't put it much past uh, one in four chance. Yeah. All right. This is kind of a hard pivot. We got all serious there. Liz, <laughs> let's talk about tomorrow morning, this jobs data here. How, how how important is this? If you think about what we have in front of us over the next few weeks, right? So, you know, if anybody, if you're looking to play that Fed pivot kind of game here, you need to see a cool number, right? Tomorrow morning, you need to see a cooler than expected CPI next week. Um, you, you know, maybe you just, you know, maybe a couple more pre-announcements kind of help the cause, you know what I mean? Away, negative pre-announcements that's sort of thing. How, is tomorrow binary in your opinion or will it be like kind of a brick by brick sort of situation here or might we have some of these things cancel each other out so the market reaction tomorrow i think will be very clear if there's a weak jobs report the market will rally on that but i think the labor market is going to be brick by by brick and when you look at the sequence of how this occurs. We've already seen job openings start to fall, which is good. Look, we're headed in the right direction, but it's still severely imbalanced. So we're not there yet. So job openings have fallen. There's less jobs open now per unemployed person, which is a good thing. The next thing that'll happen is, you know, we've saw actually a big uptick in initial claims today. That could just be kind of an anomaly, but then you'll start to see 
the actual monthly labor numbers relax. And yes, tomorrow could be the first of those. But remember where we are on unemployment. I don't think the Fed gets uncomfortable with unemployment until we're in that mid 4% range. So we get up to 4.5%. That's a lot of jobs from here. So we're going to feel pain in the economy. And I think people are going to continue to get nervous. So even if there's a brief rally on a bad jobs number tomorrow, we have to get a lot more bad jobs numbers before the Fed is actually going to say, oh, okay, we need to slow down. I think that that's going to be later than the market can handle. And we probably see some more volatility before then in stocks. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good little take there. And again, you know, Guy and I have been talking about it a little bit. I mean, you know, as we get closer to that November 2nd meeting, I mean, I, I don't think the, the, the Fed is too focused on the stock market here and now. I mean, that, that's my personal opinion. But, um, you know, if it were to careen lower, that would be something that if the S&P was down more than 30% by the time we get to November 2nd. I mean, Guy, what do you think on that? I mean, like, the you know, Fed right put, now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this what the Fed puts probably in, in the S&P, I think it's around 30 3,000, maybe just, sh- yeah. you know, slightly north of 3,000. That to me is probably the make sense level where they actually take notice. So I don't think the stock market's in yeah. their purview either. I think the credit markets probably should be, and I'm sure that yeah. they are. They have shown really no sign of faltering, although there obviously has been weakness in the HYG, the LQD, in the junk, the things that we talk about. That yeah. to me is the thing that will most concern them. And I'm, I agree with Liz. I think they want unemployment to go higher, clearly. I mean, yeah. Obviously, as citizens, we don't want that to happen, but that's what they're looking for. So the thing that's going to derail them or stop them or pause them is not the equity market, I don't think. It's not necessarily the employment rate. I think it's going to be the credit markets. And there are really no cracks. Maybe there are a few cracks in the armor right now, but not anything to take notice of. Well, actually, hold on. Let's cover just really, really quick here. So the equity market to be down 30% from peak would have to hit 33.57 on the S&P, right? That would be a recessionary. We've then priced in a mild recession mm-hmm. at about 30% down. I think they would be perfectly comfortable with that because mm-hmm. if, if we price in a mild recession, that means that it does start to take care of inflation. So I completely agree with Guy. They're not worried about the equity market. The credit market, and people will claim that the Fed is going to watch the market. And as we go down, they're going to they're going to respond to it. The credit market, although it's seen stress, has actually been a pretty orderly stress so far. So when you look at spreads, yes, they're marching higher, but they're marching higher in a comfortable way. And that's not an issue for financial stability. Right. So you would need to see something that was completely blown out of proportion for the Fed to say, okay, the market is not functioning as it should. Now Mm -hmm. we have to do something. It's functioning perfectly how it should in an environment like this. Yeah, no, so that makes agrees sense. With me on two th- I love that. We're in, yeah. we're in accord, as they say. We're you not going to be in accord, in- by the way, on Sunday morning. But that we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Anyway, back <laughs> well, to you. What you got? You got Giants Packers? Is that what's yeah, going in on? London. Sunday, Sunday yeah. morning. Across wow. the pond, All right. as they well, say. Let's, let, let's do this really quickly here because we're going to do a double dose of John Butters today. Um, Amanda, Amanda reached out to Butters because we wanted to, because we knew that, that Liz was going to be focusing on the U.S. dollar here. You know, as we head into earnings season, we wanted to get a list of some of the largest components of the S&P 500 with the greatest exposure to sales overseas, right? And so a couple of these names make perfect sense. Philip Morris, um, you see Newmont Mining. There's a ton of semiconductor 
semiconductor stocks here. Liz, we'll ask you on the sectors in a second, but we wanted to hit some of these single names. You know, guy, Qualcomm is on this list. Mm -hmm. Qualcomm is a stock that you've talked about that you like on valuation, you like on positioning. We know that they have potentially some issues with Apple. They have uh, Apple's their largest customer, I think over 20% of their revenues. And, you know, Apple continues to figure out how to kind of displace Qualcomm within some of their smartphones and some of their iPads and the like. But look at this car, uh, this chart here, you know, guy. I mean, even at trading at a massive discount to, let's say, in NVIDIA or some of the more expensive yeah. peers, on a five-year basis, man, I mean, this thing, whatever you want to call it, you know, it, it, it looks really, really heavy here. I'm just curious. And then you see that unfilled gap all the way the down there. What is that, about 90? I, I yeah. know exactly where it is. Yeah. It's probably like, what, 105 or something? You know, I'm no, below it. That's It's like Lengi guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. And yes, I do remember that. And I was looking like a genius uh, late last year, early this year. Obviously, it fell on hard times for all the reasons you just said. So listen, I think the reason why it trades at a trough valuation are the things that you just talked about. Obviously, they're somewhat reliant upon Apple and their, their currency headwinds, right? The fact that they a majority of their sales are made overseas and they're feeling the brunt of it like everybody else. And you couple with that the fact that semis collectively have traded really poorly. And there's this concern that a lot of double ordering and you see what's happening in Qualcomm. Yeah. I think you make a great point. It does not trade well. So I have to take my dogma hat off and just look at this reasonably and say, you know what, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, you know what though? Listen, you know, we're gonna talk um in a minute though about Nike. I mean, again, if this is a name that you like, you like the way they're positioned, you see the secular trends in some of the in the areas of mobile and, and diversifying away from an Apple, you know, you, you probably have to start buying it, you know, and the next dip because to your point, when it gapped up back in the summer of uh 2020 guy, it gapped right to a hundred dollars. You know, that kind of hundred and ninety-five level, I mean, that's probably where it kind of fills in. And at that point, it's going to be really cheap. So again, you know, dollar cost averaging. I just want to hit this one, Newmont Mining. Okay, guy, look at the move that this stock has had over just the last few months or so. Now, this is a multi-year chart, but is this one at a technical level that makes sense because you have been bullish of gold of late? Yeah, and that's been wrong. You know, if, if, if I had done this show with EY from SoFi when the Bank of England news came out, I'll tell you what I would have said. I said gold should be up $100 today and probably $100 over the next week or so. And that proved to be incorrect, although it has gotten off the mat a little bit. And Newmont, the double whammy here is, obviously, the stock market's been miserable, and the underlying commodity has been miserable. And the stock is traded in kind. But to your point about support levels, well, you drew the lines, as Carter says, they draw themselves, and we're at yeah. a level of support. Gold should be rallying in this environment. The fact that central banks now are seemingly doing things out of the blue, all this central bank intervention and stuff, things we haven't seen in decades, Leads me to believe there's going to be a day where gold finds itself in the sun. It hasn't happened yet, but I think if you're looking for a play here, low risk, potentially high reward, I think Newmont Mining makes some sense. Right, Liz, where are you on gold? I know that we've talked on the program before and on your podcast that you do the important part on mm. SoFi. When is the next one coming out, Liz? When's the next important uh, part? They come out? out towards the end of the month. So it'll guy, be guy, guy our month. invites must have been lost in the mail. No you know? well, oh, you, know, you guys want to be on it? I mean, you know, when Liz you comes up. I might have an opening in 2023. When you name something <laughs> the important part, it's like when TRB says, this is really, what I'm about to say is really important. Yeah. So what that basically suggests is when you say the important part, everything else is not that important. So what you're doing here, clearly you find no importance. And when TRB says that, it means that don't listen to those other adults. 
what I'm about to say matters. So, all right, but quickly, yeah, TRB, the reform, the, the reform broker, and we love Josh, who I actually. He's been on our podcast. We've been on his. We did like He's a home and away. I guess. I guess we just haven't had the home and away thing yet, guy. With uh, <laughs> with Liz Young. All right, Liz. Liz, talk to us a little bit about gold and your take on it. Uh, actually, so I was on set with TRB on Monday. Stop it. And the final trade I used was gold. So, Whoa. yeah. I know. Right. And it takes a lot for me to talk about gold. I am never impressed by gold. I think it is one of those investments that just never does what we want it to do and never does what it's supposed to do in certain environments. But now that we have global currency volatility and global currency risk, I'm on gold. And it yes, it hasn't worked, but it's going to find its day in the sun. I really do believe that. And if yeah. you're trying to look for a stable return stream, gold is a good option here. I still think treasuries are a good option. So you have to look at it. And again, and we talk, you talked about semis. I have not been on semis all year. This, These are two things in the last seven days that I've started to think about. And I think when we start to go down again in the market, especially if we get back down under 3,500 in the S&P, I would be snatching up semis for sure. All right. Fair enough. We like that via the SMH. I, I have a I have a target at 110 in the NVIDIA. Well, I'm going to start picking at that one. All right. We got to do a little speed round here because we got a lot yeah, to like cover. Guy, guys got a dip in six minutes. Okay. So let's, let's do this thing. I thought this was important. Costco last night, they reported their September sales. And one of the headlines that I saw that really caught my eye is that the company's not ready to cut prices. They've locked in a lot of the rates, the shipping rates and, and the like. And you keep hearing all about, you know, some of the input costs as it relates to, you know, freight shipping and rates and all that sort of stuff coming down dramatically here. So this one's kind of interesting to me, Guy. When you think of this thing, and again, we know that the stock always trades um, at a premium yeah. to the group, many of its big box peers. Look at the one-year chart on this thing, man. It's not, it's not looking great. I mean, in my opinion, and, and then if you back it out to five years, I mean, you could see this thing retesting the lows from earlier this year, maybe 400 or so. What would it take for Costco, for investors to say, this stock's too expensive? Is it like a margin hit because they've locked in stuff at, at too high prices and then maybe they're not able to continue to you know, kind of pass through to customers? Well, if you look at where shipping costs have gone since they hedged basically shipping costs, yeah. I mean, they've only gone down. So good for them for trying. And I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to get on them. I mean, it was just bad timing, but- to your point, obviously, things have come down considerably since then. So that was just a bad hedge, but at least they tried, number one. Number two, what's it going to take for people to finally – they've been selling the stock, as, as you pointed yeah. out with the chart. And I think it's just a matter of time before, like everything else, valuation catches up to Costco. And if you start to see margins take a ding, that's a problem because i got to tell you something. People are not leaving Costco. I mean, they're, they're, they have like 93% or 94% – um, in terms of people you know, in yeah. that SAM program, whatever yeah. the hell it is, where you yeah, get yeah. a little Costco card, people don't leave. It's like yeah, once you go, leave. people spend hours in that friggin' plant. Not me. Well, it's kind of like the Amazon Prime. You know what Prime. the definition of wishful thinking is? I'm sorry, Dan. I know we got to go. It's when I see some 85-year-old dude in there pushing a cart with 36 <laughs> rolls of toilet paper. I mean, really? You can't buy any less than that. Well, maybe you want to well, buy it by the All right. Pal. So just Diaz, just, Diaz just went in the chat. Keep it moving. Yeah. Um, okay, real, real quickly. I'm trying to keep it moving. Real, real quickly. 
Real quickly, look at this Walmart chart. It's a one-year chart making a little bit of a pennant formation here. This one guy looks like it's going to break one way or another. And again, you know, we've been talking about Walmart, it seems like, for months. They had a couple really difficult quarters back in the spring, early summer. So um, trying to make a little bit of a base here. But man, oh, man, I mean, this thing feels like, you know, again, this is ready to break one way or the other. You know what? The tr- as This is one of those situations, and I will be serious for a second. This pennant, obviously, with each passing day, it gets more and more narrow. You don't have to make a decision here. Let the chart make the decision for you. So it's going to break one way or another. It's just a question of which way. You don't have to play that game. Just wait for it to happen. So you break that uptrend line, the stock yeah. is probably going to test the lows we saw back in the spring, right? You test yep. that, you tra- trade through that uptrend line. We're going to go through the moving day average, and we're probably going to trade up to about the midpoint of that downtrend line. So that's how I would be looking at Walmart right now. Let the lines make your decision for you. Yeah, last one we, before we get to Liz on retail in general, I just want to kind of pull up this Home Depot and you look at this beautiful double bottom from the June lows to the lows um, last month. I mean, the stock has had a nice bounce off of it. You see that 200-day. It's a bit of ways here, guy. You back this thing out. It, it kind of bounced off of kind of really important yeah. support going into end of 2020. And this is one where it relates to rates and housing and all the like. And you can make an argument why it's good for Home Depot if mortgage, mortgage applications are down and this and that or whatever, you know, I mean, I don't know, but to me, I just I highlight these three charts because they don't look great to me, and these are three of the most important retailers out there. I agree with that. Real quick on Home Depot, I mean, you're trading off those little double bottoms that you drew. Maybe you get back up to a sloping lower moving average like we did a few months ago, but I think that's all you're going to get because, to your point, like everything else, it catches up. And, you know, it's obviously caught up to Costco. It caught up to Home Depot in a pretty meaningful way earlier this year, and it's probably going to catch up to again Maybe it bounces first, another, you know, maybe 10% from here is that moving average, but you fade it hard. Yeah, and oh, what a week makes. Real quickly, Nike, you know, I bought a little bit on 98 bucks. I said it on a market call. I said it on Fast Money. I also said I will be buying this with an eight handle in the 80s after results. I wanted the dollar cost average in. I got my average down about $86. It traded 92 today. I'm still long. I took a little bit off. That's what we do when we're trading around, but this is what I want to own here. So that was just an update on my Nike trade. Liz, give us your take on retail. We had back to school. How is the holiday season going to be? And, and again, I mean, are these important charts? Are these important names to you as your broader investment mosaic? I think this is a very important topic because there's a difference between what the stocks are going to do and what the earnings are going to do. So if you start to hear rumblings of a Fed pivot, dovish, that's obviously going to drive all stocks up. I think retail would be a big beneficiary of that in the stock market. But here's the catch. If the labor market cools through the end of the year, and as a macro strategist, I have to think about this stuff. If the labor market cools through the end of the year, that is what scares the pants off people and they stop spending money. So you might see the stocks run up on a Fed pivot, but in 2023, that's when the earnings come in and they've probably gotten hit if people have held back spending money. So be careful with a retail trade if you're using it as a trade. But I do think that you can buy it on the way down. You just have to commit to yourself that you're going to hold it until after that recessionary stress, whether we go into one or not, the recessionary stress and the job market stress passes. And that could still be six to nine to 12 months from now. 
Yeah, well, and just lastly here, because we got to hit butters again. Um, really great work here, and I think this is important, guy. You've been using this expression. You know, we are going to be in an earnings recession for the S and P five hundred before we are in a technical economic recession. And one of the reasons why, you know, John Butters, his earnings insight blog that uh, that you know his blog goes out every Friday morning. He gives us a, a quick preview of it on Thursday's four market call. But the data that he tracks is really important to me. Very important inputs. He's saying today the quarterly S and P five hundred earnings growth rate usually increases during each earnings season because more than 70% of the companies typically report actual EPS above the estimate. I think it's really interesting. Over the last five years, the quarterly growth rate has increased by 8% on average during the earnings season. Over the past two quarters, though, the quarterly growth rate has only increased 3.5%. So, guys, we're starting to see some pressure on that, which, again, you know, upper left, bottom right sort of stuff. Give me your take on that as we head into next week. On Friday, we are going to have three of the major U.S. money center banks, I think City, Wells, and J.P. Morgan, all reporting to get earnings season kicked off here. Might we see a lot of volatility in the bank numbers? Yeah, well, listen, think about what the banks are not trading particularly well. You pointed out, even J.P. Morgan, which had a bounce, is back below 110, I think, last I looked. So not trading well at all. The setup for the banks in their earnings is probably actually pretty good. But I look at this and say, finally, we're starting to see that because you need all these elements to come into play before you can put in a bottom. So this, to me, is a healthy sign. I think it was somewhat predictable. And why do I say that? Because we've been talking about it literally for the last year or so that in the environment that we're finding ourselves in, there has to be a slowdown in earnings. And we're finally starting to see it. Now it's just really a question of where do they trough and what are people willing to pay for them? And we've done that math a number of times. I still think we're too high here, but I think we're a lot closer than we were in terms of the 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 thought process and some of the metrics you need to see a bottom. Fair enough. All right, Liz, you know what they say about trying to pick a bottom? What do you get? You get dirty fingers there. That's disgusting. There, uh, that or really is disgusting. <laughs> what? No, I, I mean, I, I've never said that, by the way. I mean, I say a lot of dirty no, shit. No, that is a market saying. Stuff. Okay, that that is <laughs> okay. an old school. All right, Amanda, you can cut that out of the out of this thing. <laughs> no, yeah, um, this is, you're live. You can't cut This is cut live, guys. Out. This is live. Did nobody tell you that? All right, well, she also said we got to go. So, guys, right, so real quick. So yeah. you saw, I, I, now I'm, I, I know we got to go. So you saw EY the other the night because you texted oh, me okay. like you're never going to believe who I saw you. You said she was sitting by the bar by herself. And it made me think I was of, not by myself. For, you, for you fans out there, in 1979, the last studio album from Led Zeppelin was In Through the Outdoor. If you look at the cover, it's some dude in a white suit sitting by himself having a drink. And that's the first thing I thought of, thought of you. That really is sad. But it, hey, it she wasn't like by game, herself. It was like the game of telephone when we were kids. You know, okay. Dan says that I was at the bar having a martini. By the end of that day, it's like I'm lighting shots on fire alone at a restaurant. <laughs> I was having a quiet glass of champagne with okay. a friend. No, that's that's all. That was that's it. Not that I'm opposed to martinis or being at a bar by myself. But friend, that particular just, day, that's right, not what was happening. <laughs> just happened to meet like 10 minutes earlier as you were downing all right well you know guy one thing we, we one thing we can do is that amanda for the podcast store because we do put the market call in the podcast store she can cut this whole last minute and a half with my really bad joke. all right, so all right. I'm, I'm wrapping take we, us uh, up because you got to get in the car you gotta get in the city here buddy i'm five thousand. i got a tie on people i got to take a leak before i go but that's it for today's market call Thanks, EY, for joining us. Check out her blog every 30. Every 30. Every, every 30. Day, SoFi.com slash blog. Follow her on Twitter. You already do. At Liz Young Strat. Thanks to our sponsors, Facts at SoFi. We're powered by Open Exchange. I'm powered by the energy of life and the thought that the Yankees will be sitting for the next five days watching their opponents beat the shit out of each other. Audi 5,000 people. 
All right. See you guys. Thanks, Luke.